Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City, uh, and I'm happy to, uh, to be worshiping, worshiping with you on this Sunday morning, especially after last week uh, we didn't have church. Um, if you're watching with us uh, here in person, it means you just haven't found out you have COVID yet, probably. Um, and if you're watching with us online, we're happy to have you uh, with us as well. Um, happy 2022, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fun to think about ourselves uh, entering a new year here. I, I, I know yesterday I, I myself just kind of found, you know, myself su- almost surprisingly being really excited about the, the turn of the new year, and I hope that's how you're feeling as well. Now, I know as we enter New Year's, we typically uh, find ourselves maybe reflecting uh, on the year before. It's just a natural pause for us to sort of look at what's come before and kind of use that to sort of ask ourselves is this what I, the, the kind of the habits, the rhythms, the, the way I want the next year to go as well? And so a lot of people find themselves, you know, maybe doing resolutions or different things like that. Um, and, you know, for, for us as a church, we want to maybe uh, encourage you to, as, as something to think about, um, and we try to talk about this on a somewhat regular basis here at Res City, is consider uh, your habits of generosity uh, as, as, as a person who follows Jesus. I think the last few years, if, if we're really asking, you know, looking at ourselves and looking at the world around us, we can maybe, you know, realize that it's kind of had the effect of put, challenging us or pushing us to be maybe a little bit more stingy uh, with ourselves than we normally would be, right? With our money, with our time, maybe with how we view others, right? Not having a lot of charity or benefit of the doubt for people around us, um, just because of kind of what's, what's happened, right? Our, our willingness to be generous, to be charitable, maybe have been challenged by some of the circumstances uh, around us. Maybe it, it's, it's where we've lost certain things, right? Or we've been hurt in certain ways, and that can kind of cause us to, to be less willing to be generous. It, it could also be just, um, you know, we're stressed and tired, and we can kind of revert to being a little bit more uh, worried about our own self-protection in those moments, okay? And so we wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how we as followers of Jesus can be um, engaging with the generosity that we find in the gospel uh, as people who follow Jesus, who are people of the gospel, which we'll talk about today. And so we're going to be in a three-week series here on generosity, on charity, on giving, uh, and on, as you see on the screen behind me, on grace, which we'll kind of unpack that here uh, a little bit over this sermon. And as we do, we'll be showing videos like we did of the Seidels here a little bit earlier, um, just kind of how different people at Rest City think through their own habits of generosity, why they do what they do, what it looks like for them as a way to sort of encourage you or to, uh, you know, to encourage all of us uh, in ways that we can maybe uh, uh, do the same. Um, and so want to highlight that. And just in case, like, you're worried that, oh, oh whenever a church does a series on giving and generosity, it must mean they're looking for my money, right? Or it must mean they're in trouble with budget or something like that. That's totally not true, okay? There's a reason we're doing this, like, at the beginning of one year and not the end of another, right? Where we're, you know, needing to meet budget or something like that. We're totally fine financially. It's not why we're doing this. Just to, you know, kind of uh, ease your, your, uh, your, any suspicions you may have uh, of us and, and our reasoning for wanting to do this series. So anyway, let me pray and then we'll hop into our our first sermon in this series here. Lord, thank you for your generosity to us in the gospel of your son, Jesus. Um, I pray as we reflect on that here over the next few weeks that you would bless us so that we may be people who are uh, patterned in the image of your son who generously gives himself for us so that we may be rich uh, in, in so many different ways. 
We pray this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, as humans, we tend to teach ourselves how to think or act, sort of oftentimes by the characters we create, by the stories we tell, right? We learn something about who we should be based off the the characters that we create and the stories that we tell ourselves. And when it comes to giving, right, or gifts, like there's one character who probably comes to our mind more than any other. It's this guy, Santa Claus, right? And, and so it's kind of fitting because we just finished Christmas to kind of reflect on who Santa is and what he tells us maybe about our own views of gift giving and generosity. So Santa is a gregarious, kindly old man who has a, a list and some sort of criteria uh, that he you know, uses to determine whether you're naughty or you're nice. And he may or may not have an elf sitting on your shelf that sort of keeps track of if you're being good or not, right? This is kind of what we tell ourselves, or at least kids, uh, about how he operates. Um, and um, he sort of, you know, might solicit letters for gift requests from kids. And, and at, once a year, he, you know, dispenses gifts to the people who've been naughty. And, and, or, sorry, the people who've been nice and not naughty. He gives coal to those who are naughty or just leaves them hanging, something like that, right? That's, that's who Santa is, right? That's what the sort of, maybe our ideal gift giver looks like, is this sort of this, this person and this is how he operates, Okay, so what we pull from this is sort of what we think of what it means to be good gift givers, if we're looking at Santa, is that, you know, you have a presumably good person, a righteous, kindly person who distributes gifts to people who are worthy or deserving of receiving them. And they come in a specific season for giving, right? So the whole year, uh, you know, he gears up for one time where he gives gifts to those people. He has no real intent of creating relationship with the people he's given a gift to. All right, he comes when you're sleeping, uh, he sneaks in through your chimney, he maybe eats some cookies or something like that, and then he leaves. And you're not supposed to see him, right? That's sort of the, the point. And so he has no intent of sort of creating a relationship with the people he's giving a gift to, and no expectation of any reciprocity, right? Anything that sort of, you know, anything is circular in any way, right? That, that's kind of what Santa seems to be, you know, looking for. And we don't really know that much about Santa, right? Other than a few biographical details, he lives up in the North Pole, he hangs out with elves, he's a master trainer of reindeer, and, and other things like that. But effectively, he's anonymous to us, right? We, we, we know so little about him that he's almost anonymous. We know him basically by the fact that he just gives gifts to us. And the gift doesn't really have any bearing on whether or not we'll end up on the naughty or nice list the next year, right? The gift is just something fun for our pleasure, something that will give us some enjoyment, but it's not a gift that necessarily will change us in any way, right? It might not help us or sustain us in our being nice people and getting a gift the next year, right? It really doesn't have any bearing whether or not we'll end up as a naughty person or not the year after. And when it comes to us and our habits of giving or the ways that we maybe think about giving, I think you can kind of see some, of el- some elements of that in us as well, right? It's common for us to give gifts anonymously, right? To not want to be known, um, for, for our charity, right? That's a pretty normal thing for us to do. There's no intent to create a relationship oftentimes with the people that we're giving gifts to, so we try to hide our identity as much as we possibly can. Um, we have organizations that, and I'm not knocking these, I think they're actually very helpful, but 
that, that help you to sort of know that you're giving your money if you're looking at charities, for example, uh, that will help you to know, you know if this is a good charity or not, right? And they'll go and score them for you and you can kind of research them online to help you know that you're giving to something worthy or deserving of your money as opposed to putting it towards something unworthy or undeserving, right? Okay? Now, at Res City, our goal in so many things is not to tell you what to do, but it's try to help you to learn how to think Christ-like, right? And so, so, so more often than not, we're not going to tell you, here's what you ought to do, here's what your giving habits should be like. We want to help to form you in your thinking to look more like Christ so that you can sort of reason through with the help of the Holy Spirit what it looks like for you in your specific situations that you find yourselves living in day to day. And with this series, we really want to do that and talk about specifically, I mean, we always want to do this, but we're going to really focus in on this today, how the gospel should inform our own habits of generosity. Okay, and we'll get a little more specific the next few weeks. Next week, we'll talk about you know, what to do with your money or your resources. And then the, the last sermon in the series, we'll talk a little bit about how to be generous with your time, with your talents, with your skills, stuff like that. All right? Um, but today, we want to focus in on the gospel, which is all about generosity. And we know that based off of the word that so often is used in the New Testament uh, to talk about it, and that's this word, grace, or the Greek for it is charis. Now, it shows up all over the New Testament, both in, in word and theme. And Paul especially, there's been books written about how often Paul in particular uses this word uh, grace. He uses it as often as a millennial puts the word like in front of you know, things that they say. Now, the, the word grace means charity, gift, or, or favor bestowed. And we get words like you know, charity or charisma that we use today in our English language from this Greek word charis or grace. Now, John Barclay has written a lot on this word grace and particularly how Paul uses it. And he says that charis is not an ordinary term, in, or, sorry, is, is an ordinary term in the Greek of Paul's day. It's not loaded with any special uh, theological meaning. It means an act or attitude of favor or benevolence, uh, not a special kind of gift, just any favor or benefit. So if you were talking about sort of a regular gift that you were giving someone, if you were, let's say that they, had, they celebrated Christmas in the way that we do in the first century, they would call it a season of grace, right? They wouldn't call it a season of giving or generosity so much as they would call it a season of grace because that's what grace implies. It sort of talks about how, um, you know, the, we enter into a mindset of giving and generosity. Grace is the word that describes all that stuff. Now, for us today, right, we, we give gifts, we receive gifts all the time, uh, not just at Christmas, but for us, gifts are kind of extra to what we need to supply us most of the time, right? So you think about it, at Christmas time, most kids, um, the gifts you're getting are like a, a luxury. They're not something essential. It's not something the kid necessarily needs to survive, Unless you, you, know, you have one of those parents who just gives clothing you know, for Christmas to you, and it's like, here's the clothes and underwear and socks you're going to be wearing this year, right? Most kids are getting stuff that they don't actually need. It's something kind of beyond it. Their, their needs are met. They're supplied in other ways, right? And this is why I think, you know, uh, you know for Christmas for adults is so tough. Like, I know my parents have said, like, we don't know what to get you every year because, like, you just go buy the stuff you need on your own. Right? Most of us, that's how we supply what we want or need is through you know, our own money, our own means, or we secure that through different ways, right? whatever it is. 
So gift giving is kind of beyond that. It's a luxury. It's something extra. And while some parts of society, right, gift giving is kind of important. Think of like universities that take uh, gifts from donors that they use to, you know, make new buildings or start programs or some some things like that, or maybe grants that come from government or, or private uh, individuals for, to, to get certain things done, right? That, that happens still sometimes, but it's really not that central to the running of our society, gift giving. Mostly, we supply what we need or by what we earn, right? Or maybe what we're given by the government as, uh, you know, or something like that, right? It's not gift, it's not framed as gifts to us. It's not how we think about what, you know, our, how our needs are supplied. But in the ancient world, and the world of the early church, they would have thought about it much differently. And we just watched a movie recently, Julie and I did, um, that I thought actually really helped to kind of get a sense for how the ancient world would have thought about it. And it's this movie called Encanto. Uh, it, it was in theaters, and it's on Disney Plus now. Um, it's an it's a, it's a animated movie, as you can see uh, from the screen here, but it's still, I think, worth, worth your watch as, as an adult. If, um, and it's about a family named the, the Madrigals, and I'm not, I'm not spoiling anything here. This is all very, you know, first couple minutes of the movie, okay? So, uh, you know, don't get mad at me for, for saying I'm spoiling things. Julie thinks I'm like a major spoiler of things, so I need to be really cautious not to, okay? This family, the Madrigals, like in their history, they, were, they, they have a candle, and this candle sort of, it, it, it creates these new realities for them as a family. So it saved the matriarch, uh, Abuela Alma, from some pursuers at the very beginning of the movie. And then th- this candle, and not only does it save them, it kind of gives their family special powers, which they use to sustain a whole village of people, like 50 years later, when the movie kind of picks up. And the whole village, the, the life of this family and the village itself is sort of created by and sustained by the gift of this candle. And this, um, they referred to the candle throughout the you know, movie as a gift that was given to them, that now uh, supplies them, that they rely on, and it supplies the whole village around them as well. And I thought that was super helpful because that is sort of how the ancient world works, right? Gift giving is kind of at the center of how things got done, right? It made the world go around. So the economy and people's livelihood was often built around gift giving, so you had this ancient, in the ancient world, you had this upper class, and most of the wealth was, was centralized there. You did have a middle class, and they maybe had enough money to sort of get by in some very basic ways. But largely speaking, the way big projects got done in the world, the way that a lot of people's needs were supplied was by gifts that were given from the upper class to everybody else. Okay? And so um, with no safety net for people, safety comes in relationships to where gift-giving can sort of help people out when they need it because you've created relationships. And relationships are often formed in the ancient world by the giving of some initial gift, right? So when you give a gift to someone, it actually is expected that you create a relationship with them and that now there will be some return, right? There will be some, you know, it's like down the road, now that we have this relationship, I am going to kind of expect that you'll respond in the, in the form of the gift that I initially gave to you. And actually, there was a, a famous saying, uh, one hand washes another, kind of like, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's actually like how they thought of how things got done in the ancient world. It's like, you know, you can't wash your hands with, with just one hand. You need two. So you need a relationship with other people. You need gifts from them, charity, generosity from them in order to survive. 
And so these gifts that were given would create new realities. And so most major projects for society got done this way. So if it was like refurbishing or building public um, buildings that were sort of essential for life in the ancient world, those were usually done by gift giving from, from, from rich donors. Um, enhancement of temples for military equipment and defenses. Um, all of these things that are essential for society were done by gift giving. And so a key benefit then, this is not just, okay, not everyone in the ancient world was super altruistic and they just gave gifts because they were super nice. They gave for certain reasons and things were, they were expecting things to sort of bounce back to them and that was typically in the form of these relationships. And you'd have these relationships that would form called patron-client relationships. I'm getting in the weeds a little bit here, but trust me, this, this is important. Okay, so you would give a gift and you would have these clients now that would kind of work for you and they would do things for you and that was kind of the expectation. That was their way of showing gratitude for the gift that had been given. And um, people who gave gifts could get honor from giving gifts to the right type of people who would you know, bring honor back to them and how they respond in gratitude. They could respond in extending their interests. Now, we, would call, we might call a lot of this today bribery and corruption. <laughs> you know, that's, maybe there's a reason that we don't have the world completely run like this, but this is what it looked like in the ancient world. And so if you give a gift, you expect that some relationship is going to be formed here. And interestingly, actually the word that is often used to describe someone's response to a gift giver, if you've been the one who's received a gift, is that you have faith in them. It's actually a, a sort of loyalty or faithfulness back to them. You understand that your life sort of is sustained by the person who's given you this gift. And out of gratitude, you show faith or, or loyalty or faithfulness back to them. Now, this meant you were very choosy about who you gave gifts to. And so you were very careful to only give them to people who were worthy, right? People who would uh, not shame you in some way, because honor and shame were incredibly important in the ancient world, and people who could maybe give you something back in their relationship. There was some like, ROI. So you were choosy to make sure you didn't give it to someone who couldn't give you anything back or who was going to you know, uh, shame you in some way, okay? This is what the word grace kind of describes in the ancient world. This is what people who are reading Paul's letters of the New Testament would have thought of when they used the word grace, okay? This word that is sort of used constantly to describe what God has done. And there are some parts of this that map really cleanly onto, you know, the gospel when we talk about it. God is our patron. He's our rich giver, okay? He's actually a king who's given a gift to people, and we respond in faith by uh, accepting it and by being loyal to him, by walking in faithfulness now to the one who's given us this gift. And the gift is Jesus himself, the, the Holy Spirit adoption, and, and kind of like in Encanto, uh, salvation from pursuers who are coming after us. And this creates a new reality for us as people who receive the gift of God given to us. It creates a new reality for us and it sustains us. And that's why we're calling the series that people who are fueled by grace. Because really, when we look at who we are as people of Christ, we are people who have received a gift and who are fueled by that now in all of our life from, from the moment we receive that gift onwards. 
So, so there's parts of what we just talked about that mapped onto the ancient world, but there's parts of it that are very different. And when Paul and, and other New Testament authors use the word grace, it start, you start to realize that he actually is using it in some different ways. There are some key differences from how people would have understood grace in his time beyond that as well, and also from how we might talk about Santa's gift giving, okay? And here, here's what John Barclay says. He says, most gifts and benefits in the ancient world were distributed discriminately to fitting or worthy recipients. In Christian uh, theology, however, charis, grace, acquired a distinctive tenor. They came to mean a favor or gift given to the undeserving, okay? So here's the difference. God isn't looking for some criteria to give his gift to people, He's giving it to people who, under many different valuations of worth, are completely undeserving. And we get a really good example of this in the book of Galatians, where Paul talks about his own calling and grace. So here's what he says. For you have heard how of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, uh, uh, sorry, many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But God, who set me apart from his mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So he says, hey, I, I, I was called in grace, okay? I was given this charis. And he talks about how the Galatians, is a little bit earlier in the chapter, in verse 6, he says, the Galatians as well have received a calling in grace. And what he does is he lists what you could see as positive worth. He says, I was very zealous, I was very pious, I was very committed to God. I had all the credentials and I was ambitious, driven, a high achiever, recognized as someone very brilliant and accepted by the Jewish elite in my time. Okay, I, if nothing else would, would have done more to land someone on the nice list in that time. Okay. And God would get, presumably, lots of glory back from giving his gift to someone who is very worthy like this. But he also lists something that could be seen as very negative worth. Okay? He tried to destroy God's church. Seems like a pretty, pretty bad thing. If you're trying to get on good, God's good side, maybe don't try to destroy his church, okay? It would uh, bring a lot of shame on God, presumably, to give his gift to someone who is trying to go destroy his church, right? Someone who's actively working to undo the effects of God in the world. But here's the kicker. God's grace came to him apart from either of those things. And Paul specifically says that because this was given to him before he was even born. This calling and grace came to him before he had a chance to do any of those things. The calling and grace came to him despite all of that stuff. God was not worried about giving this grace to Paul because, that he would turn out like a total knucklehead trying to destroy his church or because he turned out to be some great, pious, zealous, you know, high achiever for God. God's grace came to him apart from all of that. And so what it, what it shows us is that God is not an elf on the shelf giving his gifts to people only who are worthy of that, right? We fear that about God sometimes, right? We fear that we can lose God's grace or we're undeserving of receiving his grace because of something that we've done in our past or some mistake we've made in our future, right? And we can also think, boy, I might be extra worthy of God's grace than someone else because here's my credentials. So here's all the things I can put on my resume to say why I would be very worthy of God's grace, 
right? Whether it's us ourselves or the tribe of Christianity that we're a part of, we're very good at accumulating that for ourselves and thinking we might deserve grace at least a little bit extra than everybody else, okay? God doesn't care. God's gift came to Paul, didn't care if it was Paul's good day or his bad day, didn't really care what Paul brought to the table, okay? He didn't let sin stop his gift, Right? God wasn't afraid of taking this shame on himself. And we know from, uh, from, from what we read in the book of Acts that Paul coming you know, into the church actually creates a lot of trouble for the, for the existing church at the time. But God's not worried about that, about bringing shame upon himself for reaching out to someone who you could see as being as bad as Paul was. Okay? And he didn't care about God, Paul's hard work, his brilliance, his goodness, right? whatever the culture determined is valuable because this came before Paul was born. And that's the big point Paul's trying to make here. God, as this sort of rich patron, the one who is, gives gift to sustain us, couldn't gain from Paul's good stuff and he couldn't lose from Paul's bad stuff. Okay, So God doesn't care. He gives his gift of grace to us regardless. And Paul, I think, found this sort of reinforced in himself as he went spreading the news of the gospel and finding that God's spirit, his grace, was really coming to people that Paul wouldn't have expected. Whether it was the Gentiles who traditionally would not have been seen as worthy of receiving God's grace uh, by, by many Jewish people in that time, uh, whether it was coming into contact with lots of you know, other undesirable people uh, that Paul would have come into contact with who were receiving God's spirit, were believing, who had seemed to receive this gift of grace. And Paul, for him, I think this is reinforcing in his mind over and over again, God does not care about our valuations of worth. He is giving his grace to people regardless from any of those things, to people who are completely undeserving of it. And so the big idea for us is that this kind of grace that we're talking about, this kind of generosity of God, creates and sustains brand new realities in the world, okay? And and, and I want to talk about a few that might be important for our own patterns of generosity as we think through it like people who are recipients of and then now sustained, sustained by, fueled by the grace that has come to us in Jesus, all right, and so the first one is this. Grace puts us all on the same page, okay? Uh, you know, and this maybe is where we talk about how we have charity towards other people, all right? So if God's grace or his gift comes to us, apart from any worth or lack of it that we might bring to the table, that ought to influence how we view those around us as well, right? If God is gonna give his grace to people indiscriminately, regardless of what we bring to the table, we ought to view people that way too, right? If God views someone as worth giving his grace to, we don't get to you know, put labels on them that say that they might be less than us in some way or better than us in some way, right? God's gift comes to us all regardless. Now, all societies have value systems and we're gonna have worth put on us you know, negative or positive regardless. We can't avoid it. We live in America. America has many value systems. We are walking, talking, you know, personifications of those things. People are going to view us in those ways. It's unavoidable. You know, there are many versions of the naughty and nice list. And it's going to seep into us as the church. So what we got to do is we got to challenge ourselves to not be influenced by that, but instead to see people who are sitting in these pews around us, right, who we come into contact with, you know, especially in the church, but also outside of it, because God has offered this grace to everybody, right? 
based on the view that God has of them and not the ones that we are going to have enculturated into us. God offers grace to all of us, whether we're naughty or nice, we're weird or well-adjusted, whether we're easy to get along with or not, whether we're vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether we're victim or oppressor, we're a liberal or a patriot, we're, we're fundamentalist or you know, incredibly woke, right? Every race, every culture, no matter their vices or virtues, right? No matter your sexuality or your gender, God has offered this gift to all of us, okay? And so we have to respect that more than the types of labels that we might put on each other or the way that we're going to, you know, be challenged to treat each other. God's grace operates apart from any culture's value, and it creates a community. Because one of the things that the gift creates now is a community whose value system is supposed to not mirror the world around us. We are to be charitable and generous in how we treat people, even people we disagree with, people who interpret the Bible different than us, because God has welcomed them into grace as well. This understanding of grace, I think this is really helpful for us because it's a sort of rich resource for Christians as we sort of challenge racism, as we work through things like gender prejudice or class division, political division, um, uh, class division, uh, personal differences, and these other barriers to unity that are in the church. There are major issues for us, I, I think, right? This understanding, a big view of God's grace is going to really help us to navigate those things well, I think. So we need to tap into it. Okay, so this kind of tells us how we ought to treat people because of the grace of God. I want to talk a little bit about how we, you know, just get into a little bit, at least what we can take away from this with uh, our lives and the, the resources that we have, okay? And, and to do that, I want to first talk about, I want to nuance grace a little bit. And this is how theologians will kind of break down the idea of grace sometimes. They'll talk about these two things called special grace and common grace. Okay, now the first one, special grace, this is, the, this is the grace that is given to us that powers redemption in the world, that makes us new people, uh, that, that sort of affects salvation in the world. This is sort of a, something that comes that's unique. And we, we've been talking about this type of grace here for, for most of the sermons so far, the gift that comes to us in Jesus. But theologians also talk about something called common grace. And we find this a lot of places uh, in the Bible, like in the Psalms, where we'll hear, you know, read places about how God is sustainer, creator of the whole world. He you know, feeds animals in the wilderness, like a, a little lion in the wilderness gets, you know, its food from God. Um, he makes rain power the rivers, we read in different places in the Psalms. Um, all that we have comes from God, okay? Uh, our resources, our jobs, etc., all this stuff. You know, even if we, you know, we can look back and we can think, oh, here's all the things I did to earn this money that I have or these resources that I have, you know, ultimately, Scripture is going to challenge us to say, you know what, this might, not, this might be more of a gift than you realize. Okay? And I think we're becoming more aware right, about how like, you know, the family you're born into, the color of your skin, the status that you have for some reason or another really does help us a lot of times. Right? Not to say our hard work doesn't matter. And there's not a difference between you know, people who don't work hard and who, who do. But, but oftentimes, like, certain people might have a head start. Right? Or I think we're becoming more and more aware of that in the world around us to realize, like, yeah, a lot of the stuff that comes to us, you know, it is a gift. Right? Or a lot of the reasons I am where I am is not really because of me. It's something outside of me. And that just naturally makes us more humble and more reliant on who God is. That it's a gift. You know, if we have something, ultimately it's a gift that's been given to us. Um, and it's not something inherent in us. Right? Now, why does, you know, a 
Side note, maybe you're asking, like, why do some end up with more common grace than others, more means than others through common grace? I don't know the answer to that, right? I think that's beyond us, you know, God's mystery, why some people, you know, might end up on a, a certain place than others, right, with a, more of a head start than others. Um, but it's not because, I can say this, right? I don't know why that happens sometimes, but I can say confidently, it's not because God values some more than others. And we know that because of the gospel, Right? We know because of who God fundamentally is that he does not offer special grace to some because they're more worthy of it than others because that's not how the gospel works. Okay, And that's the whole point of what we said so far. And here's something else that's really important when we think through um, this common grace, the, 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 the resources that we have, the, the privilege we might have, whatever that is, is that special grace, this gift of God that is given to us in Jesus, tells us how we ought to use any common grace that we might have, right? If we want to know what it means for us to, uh, to, to, to sh- wisely steward what we do have, that's a gift, we ought to look to special grace, to the gift that's been given to us in Jesus. And this is what we learn, is that grace creates in us the habit of looking to be generous ourselves, okay? The received grace that we've, given, uh, we've been given causes us to have a habit of looking to be generous like God is, okay? Using what is ours to create new realities in others through our generosity. Now, how do we do this? Well, remember, gift creates relationship, okay? This is one of the fundamental parts about, about, and and think about it, right? If you get a gift from someone, like you're not expecting it, and you're like, you feel obligation, right, to, to give something back. You, you feel kind of weird not responding in some way, even if it's just thanks or gratitude. Uh, Julie and I love the show New Girl, and there's a, an episode where, I know a few of you watch this, so hopefully you, you know the reference I'm talking about, where Schmidt gives his friend Nick a cookie, and Nick acts super weird the whole rest of the episode because he doesn't know what to do back because he's gotten this cookie, right? That just shows us it is natural for us when we receive a gift you know, that it does create some sort of relationship with them, right? We, we understand in our bones. We should at least, if nothing else, sort of show gratitude, okay? This is not, and, and the gift that comes to us from God, it's not an anonymous one, right? We know who's giving it to us, and we know a lot about who he is and what it means to show gratitude back to him. This is not, you know, he's not sneaking down a chimney while we're sleeping to give us this gift and then retreating back to the North Pole where we can't get to him, right? Or we have no clue, you know, what he wants us to do in the coming year as thanks or gratitude for receiving this gift, okay? Santa might not want a relationship with you, but God does, okay? He says, here's grace, and by the way, my spirit lives in you now. Let's talk about that, okay? And when we're in relationship with someone, that creates some sort of transformation that has an effect on us, all right? So the gift of God comes to us, it creates a relationship with us, and that relationship creates transformation in us now. We are not going to be the same people we were before if we really engage with the gift that's been given to us. Right? You ever heard that saying, um, like, show me your friends and I'll show you your, your, your future, right? It just kind of speaks to how much the people around us who are in our lives influence us and kind of, you know, uh, predict where we'll be headed, Right? Well, God says, put yourself in my presence, okay? Have relationship with me, and your future will be as a blessing to those around you. When we really engage in a relationship with God, we are going to become people who are generous blessings to those around us, just like the one who we're in relationship with, 
And this matters so much because God's gift of grace invites us into a transformative relationship. And as we deepen that relationship, we'll deepen our own patterns and our habits and our desires for generosity in people around us. You're going to have trouble being generous. I'm just going to say this. You're going to have trouble being generous if you're not consistently putting yourself in God's presence. If you're not taking that relationship that has been formed by him giving you that grace, if you don't take that seriously, you're going to have a hard time being generous yourself. Because being in God's presence, I think one of the things it does is it creates in us a sort of mindset of abundance, a mindset that we have what we need because we have this relationship to God, because we've been given this grace. Being out of God's presence creates in us, I think, more of a mindset of scarcity, of just trying to survive, of not thinking we have what we need and that we've been given that by God's grace and thinking we need to scrape it together ourselves that will cause us to see, you know, to see the scarcity around us as opposed to seeing the, the abundance that we have because we're in Christ. Okay? It doesn't create us, being in God's presence creates in us a mindset of, I have what I need. It's been given to me in God's grace. Not a, I might lose what I have. I better be careful. Okay? I better be a little bit stingy here. I better watch out for myself. I can't be generous. I just, I wish I could have, but I can't because I don't know that I'm going to, you know, make it to the next day if I give up stuff that I have. Right? You're not going to have that mindset if you are truly in God's presence, believing that he's sustaining you with his grace, that what he's given us in Jesus is ultimately all that we need. Now, this doesn't mean we live in poverty, but it means that we believe that we can always probably be more generous than we think we can, right? Because ultimately, we're not relying on the stuff that we have or our own ability to get it back, right? We're relying on God himself. We've been given this gift by God, and we lack nothing like God lacks nothing, And so we can begin to think like people who are on the lookout for generosity like God is, looking for ways that, for you know, we can take what we have, which has been given to us by God, whether special or common grace, and to use that to create new realities through our own generosity. And I thought the Seidel's, Ryan and Erica, in their video, I really appreciated how they talked about this idea of sort of expecting to be generous, Okay? of building margin into, into, the, uh, into their, both their, their budget, like living below their means, and also in their schedules so that they have space to be generous as opportunities arise. Okay? Uh, in creating relationships that alert them to needs for generosity. Right? If you're only around people who like, are doing fine, you're not going to have opportunities to be generous because like, you know, people don't need to ask you for things. Right? But when you put yourselves in a relationship with people who are less fortunate than you, you're going to find that you might come into situations where you might have the opportunity to be generous. You're being on the lookout for it. If you're building margin into your schedule, when people do come to you, like someone calls, they need help with something, right? You, you're not so busy that you can never help people out. You can never be generous because you're so scheduled up, okay? You create margin in your day. And same with your finances, right? Not spending all the money to the you know, exact extent that you have it, right? Uh, to, to make sure you're you know, living in, in the, the, the peak of comfort, but creating some margin in there so that you can help others. These are all ways that we can be on the lookout to be generous because we have been people who have been transformed by the grace that has come to us in Jesus. 
And these are patterns of generosity, and it comes from this sort of transformative relationship that is all started by God giving his grace to us. Um, when we reflect on this, we can be generous with people around us as well, right? When we are reminded that we are sustained by God's grace, which comes to us apart from any sort of valuation of worth, right? Despite the fact that we have bad days too, right? We can have more charity and generosity for people around us when they come to us on their bad days, right? When we experience their sin, okay? But when we are not reflecting on our own life, being sustained by the gift that has been given to us, you know, that comes to us apart from our value, apart from us being at our best or at our worst, we're going to have a hard time giving that to other people, okay? So all of this comes from us living in the relationship, that is created by God's grace that comes to us. And at the end of the day, that's really what it's about, is God creating new realities in his world through his generosity, which we then reflect out into spaces around us, through opportunities that we are called to by God. Okay, I really think that's his main strategy to spread his grace in the world is through our own generosity. Okay, through our being in relationship with him by us uh, experiencing his grace and generosity and then being people who live like him in his world. I really think that's the main way he wants to get things done. That's why he invites us to participate with him. So let's take that seriously, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are people who are sustained by your grace, that you have given us your grace, even though we are completely undeserving of it. God, um, you still give us your grace freely. You do not put an elf on the shelf to keep an eye on us to make sure that we're living out uh, worthiness. So you don't take your grace away from us, Lord, when we fail, because we do so often. But instead, you sustain us with your grace. You invite us into a relationship that transforms us to make us people who are generous like you so that we might create new realities in your world through the sustaining of your grace in us, God. We pray that you'd help us to reflect on that and to be people who uh, embody it, God, in, in every aspect of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.